It is 2022, brand new year, and it's inevitable at this time uh, in life uh, when we approach a new year, when we approach a new time, uh, as we, I'm getting a little feedback, as we, as we approach it, we tend to take stock, right? We tend to take stock of what our life has been, what the year behind us was, and, and of course, over the last couple of years, New Year's Eve has been like, yes, let's get this year behind us. You know, 2020 was just horrible. 2021 was just terrible. And 2022, what's it going to be? Well, you know what? It's going to be what you make it, really. Um, but as I've prayed about uh, where, what direction to go in, in this new year as a church and what to, what to use as a theme and what to preach on and, and asking God for wisdom and understanding and and uh, leadership in that way. Uh, as, I, as I get into this message, as I give you the introduction and then we cover what we're going to cover, uh, I think you'll under, I, I, I hope it'll be clear where I'm coming from and what we're gonna be talking about. Uh, and I hope it'll be clear to you uh, the direction we're gonna be taking and what we're gonna be looking at as a church and, and looking for and doing as a church. I, I know I've evaluated and reevaluated and re anybody go through that long, you re every other, it's like every other day of the month of December, it's like, okay, what can I change? What can, what, what, direct, what new direction? What's this, what's that? And uh, I know God has really worked me over in a lot of areas and, and uh, as more things get piled into my life, uh, more opportunities, more open doors. I challenge you with this. Sometimes God opens a door for you and it's a great door of ministry, but that means you need to close a door behind you, right? God will open a door and say, here is a great opportunity for you. This is where I want you to go. There's blessings this way. There's effectiveness this way. There's ministry opportunities this way. But that means that you have to close these doors here because I'm done with that. That part is over. That part is in the past, okay? We need to move on from that. Many of you, quite honestly, uh, many of you, many, we have a lot of people homesick today. Uh, a lot of people are you know, just kind of taking some time off because of the rise in, in COVID again, and you're watching online. And many people, you know, what holds you back from following Christ is your past. You, you can say that you've put it in your past, but you really just kind of keep dragging it around as an anchor. And it it holds you back from moving forward. Every time you try to take a step forward, your past holds you back. Well, that's not the way God intended things to work for you in your life. God, yes, the past, we learn lessons from the past. I understand that our past uh, and opportunities and, and situations and obstacles that we've overcome in our past many times are what builds our character. It's what builds us into who we are. Quite honestly, our past situations, the way, the way we uh, interact with God and the way we allow him to work in our lives largely depends on our past, right? It largely depends on how God has proven himself in the past or how we've failed him in the past. But make no mistake, you have to be able to put the struggles and the pain the heartache and the things that hold you back in your past, in the past. Learn the lessons and move forward. Our text today is Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. 
Title of the message is resolved. We're all about, people are all about resolutions, right? Anybody not make resolutions? I don't generally make resolutions. Uh, for a long time to me, and still to me, quite honestly, January 1st is just a new day. Every day, like it was 50 something yesterday. It's warm again today. For those of you who are not here in New England, this isn't normal. It's supposed to be like 17 at night right now, right? And last night it was like 40 or 42, 45. It was, it was nice. It was like I almost opened up the pool. You know, I was like, let's go swimming because it's, it's like beautiful in the winter here in New England. Uh, and I look at it now, uh, like January, every day in January here in Massachusetts that we don't have a nor'easter snowstorm is a day closer to spring, right? That's, that's, that's how I look at it, man. I, I, I'm ready. I, I'm all ready. Like Christmas is over. Great. Happy, happy times. We had snow on the ground for Christmas. Wonderful white Christmas. La, la, la. Bing Crosby. All that good stuff. It's over now. Okay. It's January. And if Florida, want, Florida weather wants to move up here for the month of January, I am okay with that. It's fine with me. But I know that it brings us the change in calendar, the change in year, that one digit that changes really makes something click in our hearts and our minds and, and says to us, there's something I need to, something I need to change. There's something about me that needs to be different right now. There's something I need to look at and say, what can I do better? And many people make resolutions. Many people make challenges. I know at the gym, um, I'm, for, the, for the month of, up until now, you can pretty much do what you want at the gym, right? Oswaldo and Flavia go to the same gym and, and Luis. And you can pretty much, you can all, it, there's times at the gym right now that you can set up your own routine. If you use machines, if you use free weights, if you use dumbbells, if you use the weight bench, you can pretty much set it up and you can have your own routine because there's not a lot of people there all the time. Uh, that's going to change starting right now because for the month of January and halfway into February, it's about a six-week period People become gym rats, and then it wears off. You know, they, they, they uh, get back into an old routine, and they give up on it. Resolutions are, are it, listen, if you use them, if, if, you, if they work in your life, that's wonderful. Um, and I'm not speaking against, against them. I think it's great to take stock in who you are and where you're at. Here... As a church, I think the first thing, as I've evaluated and as I've prayed and as I've looked at it over the last uh, several months and, and talked to the Lord and kind of examined what's going on in our world, what's going on in our nation, what's going on in our area, and, and what's going on in our church, I believe that where we need to start is at the beginning again. So as I'm going to tell you here later on, that's kind of what we're going to be doing for the next several months here at church. We'll be starting from the beginning. It's awesome. I love it. I, I love the idea. I love the freedom to be able to preach this kind of series that God has opened the door for me to do. So the message today is called Resolved, We Believe. And I'm going to introduce to you the idea of what we're going to be covering over this next year. If you would stand with me as we read God's word this morning. Isaiah 43 verses 18 and 19 say, do not remember the past events 
pay no attention to things of old. Look, I am about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. You may be seated. To me, that is such a passage of hope. It's, it's a passage of excitement, of energy, of anticipation. God is saying to us, okay, don't worry about the past. You cannot change it. How, many how much of our lives do we spend wasting time trying to change the past? You can't change it. You can't change it. It's not going to change. You can learn lessons from it. You could do things differently. You can apologize. You could try to mend fences, but you'll never change what happened in the past. It happened. It's over. It's done with. You've got to be able to move on from it. And God is saying, as my child, as one, of you, as one that follows me with your life, I'm telling you, don't let the past control you. Don't let the past rule over you. Don't let the past determine what your present and future will be. Because look, I want to do something new. I want to do something new. I feel like that's what God is saying to his children, his church right now. I believe God is saying to us, I want to do a new thing. I want to do something special. Listen, we live in the craziest, wackiest times in, uh, that, that we can remember. I, re I was at the at gym the other day, and because of my hip, I have to go into the pool. I, can do, I do my workout in the pool. And it's like they think that the people that go to the pool are the old folks. So they play the oldies. They're like the 40s, mu mu music from the 40s and the 50s. Like, I've seen the pyramids along the Nile, okay? I've, we've got that one down. And, and uh, you know, all the other songs that my dad and mom used to play in the car when I was a kid in the 60s. Uh, but we've got, God, God wants to move us on to new things. He wants to close those doors for us. And he wants us to say, wants to say, okay, God, what is it that you have for me? What is it that you want from me? What is it that you are going to do? I'm excited about this. I mean, I'm anticipating God. What is it? I'm open. This is what he wants us to say. I'm open to what you want me to do. I'm open to where you want me to lead. These last two years have been cataclysmic. They've been insane. They've been crazy. As a kid growing up, I grew up in, in the 60s and a teen, being a teenager in the 70s, you know, we thought there was some momentum. We thought there was some shifts in culture back there. That's nothing compared to what we're seeing now. But God is saying, yet and still, or because of what's going on, I want to do something new. Same old, same old isn't going to cut it. Okay? That's just the way it is. Same old, same old. Church as usual, ministry as usual, it's not going to work anymore. And I think that's, that's what I've been battling with over the last year. Really trying to find out because I, am, I, I don't resist change. I don't have a problem with change. Uh, change is, I, I think change is great. But change for the sake of just change is, is worthless. But change for productivity, change for the better, I have no problem with that. 
But I've also learned in my years that change without thought, change without process, change without planning is wasted effort and wasted motion. So I spent this year trying to figure out the leadership of God in this matter. And as we enter this new year, we all know there's a lot of uncertainty. There has been so much that has changed. And quite honestly, when you look around our world, it's not clear whether things will ever go back to the way they were, right? I don't think they will. I think, I think some things have changed forever. I don't think it's going to go back. I think some things are here with us permanently. I mean, you want to get into theology and eschatology and all that kind of stuff uh, and what this has to do with God's plan. We can talk about that, but I'm talking just on the, the surface level of society. I don't think much of this stuff is going to change. Now, changes in society are expected in many ways. It's simply the part of the process of society. Our nation, one of the one of the strengths of our country has all, was, was always that we were a manufacturing and a distribution nation, right? We manufactured things. We could, the reason we were able to survive the Second World War is because we were able to manufacture all the things and grow all the food and do all the things we needed within our own borders. Well, that's kind of changed. And that, that whole part has changed and we're no longer a true manufacturing nation. But that's because we've gone on to different kinds of, you know, uh, intellectual jobs and, and uh, those, those kind of things. So those kind of changes are expected as society grows and evolves. The size and rate of the change in our country and around the world in these last two years or so is truly, for me and for many people I talk to, beyond comprehension. And it's difficult to take in completely. But as we know, society can adjust. We send our four children now off every day to school. Thank God. Did I say I'm happy that school's starting back up again tomorrow? Did I say praise God? That's like, it's like a worship service tonight. Just, I, put third, I put a YouTube video a third day on this morning. I'm like, praise Jesus, hallelujah. I'm going to have my own time of just praising God tonight and tomorrow, thanking him for opening schools again. But our kids are going, <laughs> love you, Autumn. <laughs> uh, um, but our kids are going back to school this is like the third year, 2020, 2021, 2022, with masks on their faces. Seriously, man. When, when did you ever think, I mean, how many of you remember going to school when you were a kid hacking and coughing and hacking up a lung and it's like, or the kid next to you doing the same thing and they don't even have a tissue and they sneeze on their hand and wipe it on their shirt and then go on, right? Or is that just the guys that I know? Uh, <laughs> people coughing all over you at lunch and stuff like that. And we never knew anything. We never cared much about it. Nowadays, our kids are wearing masks in school. And, you know, that's just par for the course. But they've adjusted. And you look at kids today and they've just adjusted to it. They, my, my two youngest, I see them, they get on the bus and it's like, Gabriel and Michael, get your mask. Oh, yep. And they don't even give me a hassle about it anymore. They just go get their mask and they put it on before they get on the bus. And it's just, 
hand in glove now. For us as followers of Jesus, not only have we had to deal with the amazing changes in society, we've had to deal with amazing changes in the church. And I'm talking about the church universal. I'm talking local church too, but the church as a whole, the body of Christ, incredible changes. These last two years or so have caused many people to question the value of church. I never, ever, ever thought we'd have a discussion, an honest, open discussion about whether or not church, churches should stay open. Listen, some of you who are newer believers, that may be something that you are like, oh, well, let's have that conversation. I've walked with, I've been a believer since I was four years old. That's more years than you should know about. That's 55 years. In all those years, I never dreamed that pastors and church leaders would have serious discussions about whether we are following the truth of the word by staying open or closing. I never thought that it would, to me, that's the Bible says have church. Have church. Don't neglect meeting together. That's pretty clear. So I guess you know where I stand on that. But I never thought that would be a discussion. But yet here we are. And so many other issues and situations we find ourselves debating now that would never have been a thought in the past. It was funny when we started doing Facebook Live probably eight years ago now, something like that, we were actually criticized for it. We had what one pastor said, I'm not looking to make digital disciples. Well, okay. Can I be honest with you? I will. Listen, if somebody wants to watch us online, if somebody, we, right now, listen, some folks, are, they don't even go out to the grocery store. So if they want to watch church online, it may not be what I would choose for myself, but I'm more than happy to provide that service to people. Truly, I am. Well, when COVID hit and they told you you had to shut down and you, uh, you capitulated to the government's request, you called us real quick to see how to do it. Okay? So, once again, I never thought we'd have that kind of serious discussion on whether or not it was wrong or right to do whatever it takes to get the gospel out to people. Yet here we are. People of Christians are debating the role of church in society, the need for the church, the relevance of church, and the authority of the church. And young people are leaving the church, and not just young people anymore, Christians, followers of Christ, are leaving the church in droves. What I feel, now I, I think that's all, I, I think that's all damaging and hurtful and, and destructive to the church itself. And I make no apologies. I've talked to other, I've talked to a couple pastors over this last week or two. I said, listen, man, I don't, I don't, it's not my policy to take people from other churches. It is not my policy. If you move here from somewhere else and you need a church, that's great. Even if you move from like Westfield, you come down here. I, I think that's awesome. If your church shuts down, if there's doctrinal issues, philosophy issues, I have no problem with that, but I'm not looking to wreck anybody else's church. But we're faced with a situation right now where people who have, people's churches have shut down and they're not going to open again. 
And some people just walked away. And they have disconnected themselves from church. I'll tell you what, I believe I'd be a less than competent pastor if I didn't make an honest play to get those people into church, into new life. I believe in this church. I believe in what we stand for. I believe in what we do. I believe that this church can help you and anybody else that needs help. We're not perfect. I'm far from perfect. I am far, far. We talk about leaving the past in the past. I better leave the past in the past. Okay. But I believe that our church, we don't put on a show here. We don't put on airs here. We are who we are. That leaves people open to be able to deal with who they are. When you're not worried about putting on a show for other people, it leaves the door wide open for you to, for you to find out what God is trying to say to you, determine what God is trying to, to do in your life, and to be able to make the changes you need to. But what I feel is the most damaging and destructive change that, and potentially earth-moving change that has happened in the church over these last couple years has been the change in doctrine and belief system. I believe with all my heart that the greatest damage, the greatest danger to the local church and the universal body of Christ right now is the flippant, socially conscious attitude that is changing doctrine and belief system in the church. Believe that with all my heart. I believe it has the potential to be devastating. The acceptance of open sin, the changing of clear spiritual teaching to accommodate those who don't want to live their lives, who don't want to leave their lives of sin, and the denial of biblical truth simply to be more accepted by the world has been devastating. The shift to culture has caused many of our young people to not only walk away, but become enemies of the cross and mission of the church by not only questioning the truth of the scriptures, but completely diluting and changing truth. And you may say, well, Pastor John, that, uh, that's kind of harsh and that's kind of overboard. You can't speak for everybody. Listen, man, I talk to a lot of people. <laughs> You, you, the one, and I say this, and I don't mean this arrogantly. I mean this honestly. I don't come to your place of business and tell you how to run your shop. I don't tell you how to do your job. In fact, some of you do jobs that I could not comprehend. I, I would be like kindergarten. You've got to walk me step by step. But I don't make comments like this flippantly. I do my research. I have those conversations. I read those articles. I read those letters. I read those emails. And I see pastors, and especially lately it's, it's worship leaders, that people, uh, there's some songs that we won't sing here in our church. You know why? Because the people that wrote them have denied their faith and said they don't believe in God anymore. Well, that's what happens when you elevate a 25-year-old to being the voice of truth for the church. Okay, seriously, and I'm sorry if you're 25 and that offends you, but my dad is 87 years old. Pray for him, please. My father is, uh, my parents are both in real tough shape health-wise, health so please pray for them. Uh, 
I find it funny that people in their 20s try to contradict those who have lived so much life. You don't know what you're talking about. That's what I used to love about being a youth pastor. I used to love the, <laughs> used to love the, oh, you know, I've lived a lot of life. Yeah, I know. You're 16. Oh. Back when I was a kid, well, I thought you still were. Anyway, when you elevate people, there's a reason why Paul said to Timothy, don't put a novice in charge because they don't know what they're talking about. They need to learn. But we've, done, we've worshipped these worship leaders. We've put so much stock and trust in these young pastors who become celebrity preachers and are now falling one by one by 10 by 20 over and over and over again. And it's because we've left the truth of the word of God. We've desired more to be accepted by the culture than we have to be the counterculture that the church is supposed to be. Yes, we're supposed to do, we're supposed to minister and serve in love, but we're still supposed to speak the truth and stand for the truth. But what's going on now is, tr is truth of the word of God is being neglected and being overthrown and being abdicated by those who are supposed to stand for it. We are supposed to stand for truth. We're not supposed to water down scripture. We're not supposed to say that that's not what the Bible says. Well, you know, that was, and, and I've heard people now, men and women that I thought that, that were, were staunch in the faith and say, well, that was for 2,000 years ago. It doesn't apply today. It does apply today, man. The word of God is timeless. It's eternal. And we're getting ahead of ourselves. Now, I know that all seems harsh, but it's true. As we heard in the last two messages by our assistant pastor, Zach, fantastic messages. Many Christians, many believers have left their first love to follow acceptance, to follow social consciousness and unity of all people. And that may play well among their, their circle of friends, but it isn't the way Jesus established the church to operate. So what's this year at New Life going to be about? It's going to be, a, be about getting back to basics, about getting back to our roots, back to the foundations of our faith. Because I think what has happened partly is that, you know, the parables of the soil and the, the seeds that land on the soil, there's only one seed, one, one kind of soil that is productive, and that's the good ground. That means three out of every four types of soil, and we're talking about lives, preparate, pre prepared lives, three out of every four are, are, if they continue the way they are, are destined for failure. I see a lot of young, young Christians today at any age growing too fast. Well, how, how can that be? Well, Jesus said, See, that's where we have to, that's where we have to get to. Jesus said, if you grow too fast, you wither like the grass. Growth, that's why the Bible says, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. I think Sunday mornings are amazing. I think Sunday mornings are awesome times for our church. But I believe Wednesday nights, are some of the most important meetings that we have. 
Why? Because that's where we dig into our faith. That's where we dig into the word. Whether they're doing a book, whether they're reading a book together, or whether you're listening to the Bible study that goes on here in the auditorium. And they're all, the, the, the auditorium Bible studies are all on Facebook. So you can, I think they're on YouTube as well, so you can watch them. That's where you learn about the Bible. You learn here too, don't get me wrong. What's going on in our kids' ministry right now? What goes on on Wednesday night with Awana? That is so foundational for our church, for our individuals, for our children, for our families. We are, we are wanting to help you build your children. It's not our responsibility to build your children. It's our responsibility to come alongside you and help grow your kids. And I know in this society, it's tough to set aside an hour on Wednesday nights. But man, I'll tell you what, it's important. It's important to do. It's important to have that time to where you can say, I am now investing, and I almost fell over right there. I'm, I'm, I'm investing. I, I, my, if I try to balance on my right foot, I can't. It doesn't move. So I'm like a weeble. Hopefully I wobble and don't fall down. Uh, but Wednesday nights are so important because we learn the foundations of our faith. We, we work out. That's what, that's what I believe is part of working out your salvation, working out what's inside, working out the questions you have in your mind, the, the, the things that God is trying to teach you. So this year is going to be about getting back to our roots. We're going to dig into the teachings of Jesus. And this is what I'm so excited about. We're going to be digging into the teachings of Jesus. We're going to be talking about the parables. I love the parables. I love when I was a kid, man, Sunday school class, the parables on the, on the flannel graph board, right? Parables, the miracles of Jesus. Those were, that was cool, man. I was reading, I, I, I started reading Matthew this, uh, this month, um, going through reading the gospels again, uh, and one passage just jumped out at me where it said, when Jesus was in that particular place, he healed every sickness. Every, wouldn't you love that right now? Hey, Jesus, come on down here right now and just heal everything, right? Just wipe it out. Just wipe it out. But it says that during that time, Jesus healed every sickness. So we're going to be talking about his parables, his, his miracles, and his teachings. Because Jesus taught, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount, sometime read the Sermon on the Mount. You want a good personal Bible study, right? Good, great personal Bible study, right, As, Oswaldo? The Sermon on the Mount. Read what Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount. Powerful. And it's all foundational. So that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be talking about the conversations that he had to find out just exactly what it was that he's called us to do. And it's not going to be an opinion piece. <clears throat> this isn't going to be uh, editorializing on Sunday morning. It's going to be straightforward Bible teaching. And we'll let the chips fall where they may. When you hear the words of Jesus and you hear him say what he has, that's why what I'm hearing in churches and in Christian circles today is so damaging and so and has the potential to be devastating because leadership is saying, I don't care what Jesus said. This is how it has to be today. Well, now we're in trouble. See, when you say, I don't care. And I, I've had conversations with pastors, especially back in the day when I was coming, coming out of the, the hardcore fundamentalism into a, a, a 
a different style of ministry, not, you know, and you're going to hear what I believe here in just a minute, but a, a more compassionate, loving style of ministry. I actually had several pastors say to me, I don't care what the Bible says. This is what I believe. Well, that's why you can't get out of your own way spiritually because you don't care what the Bible says. Your, your mind is set on what you think. What you need to do is just what Paul told us to do. Have the mind of Christ. Let him renew the spirit of your mind. Because quite honestly, many times what we think and what we think we know has to change. Listen, we are, I'll use our, our, our family, our brand new extended family as an illustration. If you haven't noticed, our four children don't look like us, right? Um, Aaron and I, shock of shocks, we're white. We're white folks. I was born in Puerto Rico, but I'm still English. <laughs> I'm white. Gabriel and Michael <laughs> are Puerto Rican, so their skin is darker, right? They've got a darker complexion. Autumn and Maya, they are, they're a combination, but they are black. You should see the looks that gets us when we go out to dinner right now. It's crazy. Like, yeah, these are my kids. What are you going to say about it now, yo? Hit you with my cane. Just kidding. I'll tell you, when it came to Christmas, Christmas time, Christmas Eve dinner, well, the tr traditional Puerto Rican Christmas Eve dinner is uh, pork and rice and beans. And that's what, we, that's what we've been doing. Autumn and Maya looked at us like, really? Well, and Maya asked us, on Christmas Day, what are we having for dinner? We're gonna, they don't like turkey. I'm like, oh my gosh. So much has to change. <laughs> and I, I need your help, brother. Pete, Drew, and Jamil's in there. But you got to talk sense into these girls. Everything has to be cooked well done. Like, no, no. We don't need another pair of shoes in the house. Right? Oh my gosh. That's what ketchup is for, right, Drew? <laughs> no. But Maya said, well, we always have greens. Well, I happen to love greens, but she says, we all have greens. Well, why don't you make greens for us? All right? Why don't you make greens for Christmas? And she did. And they were amazing. Holy cow, they were amazing. But listen, if we're going to make it work with six people in our house from different backgrounds, and, and not biological, all from a, a, a portion of brokenness in life, we're going to have to realize that we don't know what we think we know. And we're going to have to realize that we've got to start from the beginning. Christian, if we're going to make this experiment work, <laughs> if we're going to make this church thing work, we're going to have to realize that we're all from different backgrounds. We're going to have to realize that we all have different experiences and faith is, ex is expressed in our lives in different ways, but we all start with the same foundation. Listen, if you start with a good foundation, we know this. If you start with a good foundation, a solid foundation, it doesn't matter if the winds knock your house down, you can rebuild because you've got a solid foundation. We're going to learn what our foundation needs to be. Okay. One of the parables I love the most about Jesus 
it always reminds me of Three Little Pigs, is the house built on sand and the house built on the rock. I love that parable. And I'm, I'm praying for leadership that I can preach on that this year because I love that parable. There's so much for our lives in that. I think it's vital that we understand, especially at this time, at this point in history, when so much is under fire, when so much is being put to the idea of whatever truth you think is truth, I think it's so important that we know what the Bible says and what we believe. And now, when I say what we believe, what I'm talking about is what I as the pastor stand on and what I lead this church on. I know some of you believe differently than I do in some areas. I get that. I understand that. Some of you are more conservative than I am. Some of you are more, I can't even use the word progressive anymore because progressive Christianity is just craziness now. Um, Some of you are more uh, on the, I'll say liberal, the liberal side of, of faith and Christianity. Okay? I'm a hardcore believer in the fact that if you can make a biblical argument for what you do, a solid biblical argument in context, then you're the one that answers to Christ for You're the one that he's going to answer to God for it, not me. But it is vital and important that you know how this church is being led. What I expect those who teach and preach either here or in other classrooms believe and know that we teach. There are people that I've had to say no to, to teach because they don't believe the same kind of doctrine, especially when it comes to salvation. They don't believe the same doctrine of salvation that I, I stand on here and that, that I preach here. Well, that's narrow-minded. No, it's really not. It's what the Bible has to say. Long as you can, long as it's in the Bible, we're okay. So this morning, and probably into next week as well, going to be talking, which is a relief for the guys in the video because they're not going to have to wait until, see if they even get it Friday or Saturday to put it in the, anyway, what we believe. That's why it's called resolved. We believe. What is it that we believe? The first thing I want to point out here at New Life, that we believe unashamedly, unabashedly, without question, without compromise, we believe in a powerful word of God. We believe in a powerful word of God, not an inoffensive book of suggestions. Our our standard, our foundation, our purpose statement is the powerful word of God. Now, I know today many Christians are watering that down. Many Christians are saying, no, we can't do that. It offends people. Jesus said, I will offend people. I will be a rock, a rock of offense. In fact, Jesus said, for those of you who struggle with family, and I'm not saying you have to do this, uh, but it may happen. For those of you who are struggling with family, who has a problem with your faith, Jesus said, I've come to divide father and son, mother and daughter, brother and sister. Because some will choose to follow him and some won't. Some will choose to accept him as their savior and some will mock that. Even in families, some will accept Jesus as their savior and choose to follow that life powerfully. And others will say, eh, you know what? I'm saved and satisfied. You go do your thing. And it brings division. Well, 
That's why we need to be able to come back to the word of God and say, this is what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter four, verses 12 and 13 say, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit joints and marrows. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of his heart of the heart. Verse 13, no creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him in whom we have to give account. That's pretty point blank and personal, isn't it? I love how the writer of Hebrews, who I believe is Paul, says this word of God that we have, this Bible that we have is living. It's a, you know, we talk about the Constitution of the United States being a living document. And by the way, Christians, the the Constitution isn't inspired by God, right? America is a blessed nation, but America isn't God's panacea for the world. Jesus is. He says the word of God is living. It's active. How is it active? It should be active in your life. Showing you what is right, what is wrong. Giving you direction, giving you guidance, giving you help, giving you strength, giving you compassion, giving you comfort when you're struggling, turning a light on in your darkness. You know, the common, the common phrase over the last couple years in the church has been, put your faith over your fear, right? How do you do that? The powerful word of God, man. Listen, I see what's going on. And I, I, read, the, I read the Bible last year. Um, um, why can't I think of the word now? Chronologically, thank you very much. I read the Bible chronologically, which is challenging, but it's very interesting as well. Because especially when you get into the Old Testament heroes part, it jumps from book to book to book to book. And sometimes you just read a couple verses out of one chapter. It's very cool. Very cool. Very enlightening. And it really gives you an understanding of how everything worked together at that time. But I read the book of Revelation. And man, if you've never read the book of the Revelation and seen what it is that we stand on, that we teach here, we're pre, uh, pre-tribulation and pre-millennial here. That means that we believe the church is going to be taken out of this world before the seven-year seven tribulation period happens. And we will, the church will return with Jesus Christ at the end of those seven years to rule and reign with Jesus on the earth for a thousand years. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, that's why you need to be in a Bible study, right? So you can learn those things. That's why you need to be in the book. I believe all that. And I believe what's going to happen during those seven years makes what we're going through in society right now look like a birthday party. The Bible says that a third of the trees and the vegetation will be burned up during that time. A third of the population will die from this or that. A third of all the animals in the sea will die because of one of the judgments. And all that is, is God trying to get, what's going on right now with COVID and everything that's going on is God saying, hey, listen, I'm about to send my son to return to rapture the church out. You need to wake up. You need to turn to me now. It's not judgment. It's warning signs. 
wake up. He's telling the church, get yourself together and start ministering and start evangelizing. Start telling people about me because your time is short. Once the rapture happens, the church is taken out. You no longer have the opportunity to tell people about Jesus Christ because you're not going to be here anymore. And those seven year, that seven year tribulation period is all about getting people to turn to Jesus in a desperate way. That's when the false prophet, that's when the antichrist, that's when the mark of the beast comes in. It's not with, it's not in a shot in your arm against COVID with a tracer. Okay. Think that one through real quick. Okay. We believe in a powerful word of God, not an inoffensive book of suggestions. Let's see. Did I do it again? No. Nope. Oh, I printed it on the back. Printed it on the back. I had to switch over to my wife's computer or my wife's printer. And uh, so it printed on the back. That was, oh, scared me half to death, man. John 3.19 says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Is that on the screen? No, it's not. Light has come into the world. Jesus came into the world, man. He brought light. He died for the sins of all humanity. Do you realize that? Jesus gave his life a ransom for many. You have a sin problem that you can't handle and fix on your own. Jesus left heaven and came down to earth and died for your sins. He paid the price that you couldn't pay. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, I, I believe what you've done, and I accept your forgiveness. I accept your gift of eternal life. He says he will come into your heart. He will save you. He will give you the Holy Spirit to dwell within you as a teacher on how to live. This is the most amazing, powerful gift in all of human history. <laughs> but Jesus himself said, people of darkness more than light. That's one of the saddest phrases I've read in the Bible. He's here, man. He, he came down to earth to give you a way out. But people love darkness rather than light. What we don't do, church, is change our message so that they think they're walking in light, but they're really still in darkness. The message can't change. The methods, the methods can change. And that's what we're going to be working on in our missions team this year different methods that we can use to reach people, different ideas, different concepts. Listen, I'm 59. I'm not 30. <laughs> My time in the crux of society, in the wheelhouse of society and culture, I think I was in the army during that time, so I really didn't understand it. So I need your help. We need to work together as a team to, to figure out ways to reach this community with the gospel. John 15, 18 through 20, if the world hates you, you understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted you, me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus warned us right there. You're not going to be loved for standing for me. 
So if that's, if your, if your goal is to be loved and accepted by the world, which is what's going on with a lot of these celebrity ministries and celebrity preachers who are doing daytime talk shows, like they're like, they're like the view now, right? They've got the red carpet leading up the church. Come on, man. What are you, what are you doing? I, there are, there are churches, church planting organizations. I can't believe and believe this is part of their curriculum for planting churches. They, they put it in their curriculum that the pastor has to wear clothing that keeps up with the style of the day. Really? That's why, that's why these people in the middle of summer in a hot 90 degree auditorium are wearing winter hats. Cause I wear a winter hat because I don't have any hair. All right. But come on, man. You're just trying to be, you're, you're trying to be too cool. Okay. Clothing. We, I, I grew up in churches where there were standards. Right? You, had to wear, you had to wear certain things. Well, as you can see, it's not, that's not where I'm at. And I don't wear what I wear to church to make a statement. I wear what I wear to church so I can be comfortable and worship God because this is me. And I promised you a long time ago when I took this church, for those of you who are here, the man you see in the pulpit is the man you're going to see out there every day of the week. I'm no different. I'm John. I played sports when I was a kid, played sports in high school, went into the army, wore green, and I still wear camouflage as much as possible. And then I worked the docks. I, I have never held an executive position in my life. So why would I dress like one? I'm me. This is me. Tattooed. I'm always a Dodgers fan, man. Tattooed, bald, facial hair. This is me. This is, who, this is who the pastor of this church is. I don't really care what you wear to church as long as it's, as long as you're clothed, obviously, and you're modest. That's what the Bible teaches. Man, you want to wear plaid, you want to wear flannel, you want to wear jeans, you want to wear sneakers. Help yourself. Just come here to church and worship Jesus with us and learn about him. Stop making it such a big deal. Stop trying to make a fashion statement every time you get behind the pulpit, church. Live Jesus. Live Jesus loud. James 4, 4 says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So who, listen to this last part, man. So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. We believe in the fact that the Bible is the word of God, the powerful word of God. It doesn't change. It will offend people who don't want to follow it, including Christians. But that doesn't mean we change the word of God and we will not change the word of God here. Not as long as I'm the pastor. That doesn't mean the version of the Bible. Some people use the King James still. That's cool. I use the CSB. Some people use the NIV. In fact, more, it, the NIV is more popular with women. Not sure why that is, but statistically that's the fact. It does you no good to water down the truth of the Bible to make others comfortable. It does you no good to water down the Bible to make others uncomfortable. Can I, can I point out the obvious? The fact, of the, penal, the, the, the fact of our sin is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Nobody likes to accept it and nobody likes to talk about it. But the fact of, the, of our sin is uncomfortable. The fact of the penalty for sin is uncomfortable. 
and we no longer we no longer want there are there are there are pastors that they are now writing books about the fall- the false teaching of hell like you're going to find as we go through the teachings of Jesus that he taught about it and he taught that there is a penalty for, li- for dying in your sin without Jesus Christ. And that is separation from God for eternity in a place called hell. Hell wasn't created for humanity. You understand that. Hell was created for Satan and his angels because of rebellion. Mankind fell into the trap. God found a way, devised a way to get mankind out of that trap, but mankind had to accept that help. That makes people uncomfortable because we all want to be liked. When it comes to serving in a church, the fact of personal sacrifice being service is uncomfortable. The fact of personal sacrifice being a form of service and being necessary to serve in the church, well, that's uncomfortable. But can I tell you this? We aren't called to be comfortable. We're called to be challenged. And we are called to challenge others. You're not called to be comfortable. You're called to be challenged in your faith. Aaron and I have had a lot of conversations recently about where our lives are right now. If you ask me at the age of 59, if you ever thought I'd have four kids in my house, listen, I remember when I became a father for the first time back in 1982. Wow. And then had our last one in 1984. I was so excited for the fact that I was going to be 39 years old and all my kids were going to be out of high school. I was like, 39? You kidding me? I haven't even worn the tread off the tires yet. 39. But we're two decades later, man. I'm like right back in it. And I love it because I've grown and matured enough to realize that that's the plan God has for me. But I'll tell you, when, when God brings change to your life, he expects you to change with it. He expects you to evaluate where you're at and say, okay, well, the plan I had in place wasn't God's plan. He even taught us about this. We're going to talk about this this year as well. The one that finds his life will lose it. But the one who loses his life for my sake, his sake, will find it. I'm realizing even at the age of 59, I got to lose my life so I can find it in him. I got two beautiful daughters that I get to invest in right now. And I get to be dad to and get to see them blossom and grow. Well, that's losing my life and finding his. Have to do it. The church next week, we're going to pick this up again and finish this message. And I hope that as you look towards this brand new year, that you will do some evaluating, some reevaluating, whatever it is you need to do to get yourself in line with what God has for you in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of your word and the power of your word. Thank you for allowing us to 
know your scriptures, allowing us to be able to read them and study them. Father, there's so much struggle going on in life, so many changes, but Lord, your word is always the same. And I pray that we'll remember that and we'll grab onto that and we'll understand it. Father, as we contemplate what you have for us in this new world, in this crazy, crazy world, in this new year, as followers of yours and as a church, God, may we surrender ourselves to you. May we surrender our lives to you. And God, in a very new way, may we determine to lose our life and find the one that you have for us. Bless us as we go from this place today. Father, may we be worshipers of yours throughout this, uh, throughout this week. May our lives reflect your grace and your love to others. In your precious name we pray. Amen.